0: Or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks and enjoy the latest from FBC. Good to see you guys this morning, and I guess I need to open this service with an apology. I didn't know, but last week Doug announced that each staff member was to pray for the weather for a particular month. And he didn't tell me, but apparently I was in charge of November. And I'm really sorry, all right, because that winter rolled in like crazy, um, but we're glad to see you here this morning, and we're glad that you're with us, and we get to uh, fellowship uh, together. Really excited about this morning's message. I just think the fall has been great, this, the, the Ephesians series, the Just Do It, and then into this Game Changer series. It's just been a lot of fun uh, preparing messages, listening as Doug has preached, and uh, just a, a great time, I think, a way to kick off the, the fall. Before we jump into our message this morning, uh, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We're going to do things a little bit out of order. I'm going to call the servers up in just a minute. We're going to leave you there for for a second. You can stay where you are, but I'll call you up in in just a minute. I was just thinking, uh, Barry and I were talking Thursday. Uh, We got together and just talking about the songs that he had picked. And and the song, that last song that we just sang, uh, is just so fitting for communion. I just want to read you the, the chorus again and the bridge. It says this, boldly I approach your throne. Blameless now, I'm coming home. By your blood I come, welcomed as your own, into the arms of majesty. This is the art of celebration, knowing we're free from condemnation. Oh, praise the one, praise the one who made an end to all my sin. So, communion is a celebration. It's a celebration that through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the blood that he shed on my behalf, if I place my faith and trust in him, I get to boldly enter into the presence of God. See, the Bible tells us that God knows us completely. He knows our thoughts even before we think them, He knows our words before we speak them, He knows the number of hair, hairs on our head. He knows us more intimately than anybody else knows us. He knows us completely, and yet he loves us fully. And that's what we get to celebrate this morning as we come to the communion tables. We get to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. That because of what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf and because of our faith in him, we get to celebrate the fact that we can come to him with not even a hint of condemnation. Romans 8 verse 1 says this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So this morning as we celebrate communion, I would encourage you to take that time and just to thank God for what he has done for you. Thank him for being willing to send Jesus. Thank you for, for being willing to provide that way of redemption so that we could have eternal fellowship with him. An eternal relationship with him. And communion is also a time of reflection. It's a time to ask God to, to look within us. And to see if there's anything that isn't representing him well to see if there's any sin in our lives that, that we are doing as a, as a pattern, as a habit, things that we need to confess, see if there's anything within us that, that is, um, maybe we have an offense against somebody or somebody has offended us and we're, not, we're holding back forgiveness. We need to make sure that those relationships are right and David prayed in Psalm 139, 23 to 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And so today, communion is a celebration. It's a celebration of what Christ has done for us, and it's also an an evaluation, an evaluation, asking God to say, hey, God, is there anything in me that needs to be confessed? Is there anything in me that is not reflecting you well? And then celebrating the fact that as he points those things out, that when we confess our sin to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. He doesn't make us jump through hoops. He doesn't make us go through obstacles just to receive forgiveness. The moment that we confess, we are forgiven. And so communion is a time of of confession. It's a time of celebration. It's a time of evaluation. And I would just encourage you today, you know, as the elements are being passed out, you just allow God to evaluate you, that you would allow God, or that you would come to God and celebrate the fact of what he's done for you. And today if the Holy Spirit points sin out in your life that, that you are, are not ready to deal with, well, I would encourage you to let those communion elements pass by. Because communion is a statement that I am in a good relationship with God. I am fellowshipping with him and if there's sin that you're unwilling to deal with, don't take communion. Because communion is a public statement of, a, of an inward relationship. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior again, just let those elements pass by. Again, it's a statement of a relationship that is existing within you and that, that is just, it's a relationship that you have with Christ and you're saying, I am in good fellowship with my Lord and Savior. So this morning, I'll ask our ushers to come forward. or Our servers, sorry, to come forward. And they will distribute their elements, the elements of communion. Um, but let me pray first. Father, I just want to thank you so much for what you accomplished on our behalf. I thank you that uh, this time of communion is a celebration. It's a celebration of what Christ has completed for us. It's a time of evaluation to make sure that we are are living um, in good fellowship with you. And so, Father, I just pray that you would just bless this time as we evaluate and celebrate. In Jesus' name, amen. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take communion together. Last week, Doug introduced to us the, uh, our Game changer series, and uh, he brought out the fact that a Game Changer is someone who contributes uh, and changes the outcome of the game. And oftentimes, um, when you think of a Game Changer, you think of somebody who has made a, a major contribution. Maybe, you know, it's somebody who scores 50 points in a game of basketball. You think, well, that was a definitely a Game Changer. Maybe you think, think of someone who, in the bottom of the ninth inning, hits that, that game-winning home run. Certainly, that is a Game Changer. Maybe the running back who rushes for 120 yards and scores three touchdowns helps his team win the game. These are definitely game changers. These are people that make a significant contribution to the game. But I think what we want to understand this morning is that when we think of these game changers, it's not only these significant outcomes, these significant performances, but without a whole team of people working with these game changers, they couldn't have changed the game. And so Doug brought out last week that each and every one of us is in the game. Each and every one of us who knows Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior is in the game of making Christ known and knowing him better. And that each and every one of us has a role to play. As you think about the guy that scores or the girl that scores 50 points in a basketball game, they couldn't do that without somebody passing them the ball at some point. Unless you're Kobe Bryant and he just hugged the ball the whole time, all right? But otherwise, you need somebody to pass the ball to you, uh, you know, setting screens to free you up or, or whatever to, to get those 50 points. The guy that hits the home run in the bottom of the ninth inning has had a pitcher who's, who's pitched to the point where they could actually, you know, be in a position to win. He's had fielders who have made plays to get, put that team in a position to win. The running back who who scores three touchdowns and 150 yards rushing, his O-line has opened up the holes for him so that he could have that performance. And maybe we don't celebrate those guys that are in there doing the nitty-gritty, but without them doing the nitty-gritty, the job could never have gotten done. And so this morning and in this series, what we want to understand is that, that all of us are game changers. All of us are in the game. All of us are called to make Jesus known, to help people know him better to draw people to himself. And today, as we continue along in this series, we're gonna look at at Elijah, we're gonna see how he made a huge impact in the culture around him. We're gonna see how he made a huge impact on on those that were turning to different gods, and how his performance, so to speak, his, his actions drew a number of people back to faith in Christ. Let's pray together, and then we'll get right into it. Father, Just thank you so much for calling us to yourself. Thank you for calling us to serve you, to know you better. And Lord, to make people, to to draw people to yourself and to introduce you to other people. So Father, today as we we think about the role that we can play to to change the game, Lord, just pray that you'd speak to our hearts. Speak to us through Elijah's story so that we can see that we can perform as he performed uh, back then. I just thank you in your name. Amen. So last week, Doug took us uh, to Daniel, and, and Daniel was a game changer because he understood how vital prayer was in his spiritual success. And I hope if you were here last week that you were able to grab one of those prayer bulletins. If you have not grabbed that 30 days of prayer bulletin, I would encourage you. There's still some out on the information desk. Uh, You don't have to start last week. You can start wherever you are. And it's just a neat journal to work through different aspects of prayer on on a daily basis. And so I would encourage you uh, to pick one of those prayer journals up on your way out. Uh, also, I uh, just would encourage you, if you didn't hear that message last week, I would encourage you to check it out on YouTube, on our YouTube channel, or wherever you get your podcasts, you can listen to that. Uh, excellent, excellent message on prayer. And today, as we, we look at Elijah, we're going to see a guy who, who made some significant choices, and his choices had an impact on those around him. And to get a good understanding of his impact, uh, we have to begin back in 1 Kings chapter 16. And Israel had been having a series of kings, some were good, some were bad, and, and unfortunately most of them were bad. But then we're introduced to a king in 1 Kings 16, and honestly, he was, he was the worst. Let's see what scripture has to say about him. 1 Kings 16, 29 to 33. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab the son of Omri began to reign over Israel. And Ahab the son of Omri reigned over Israel and Samaria uh, 22 years And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. And as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and went in and served Baal and worshipped him. He erected an altar for Baal, at the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria, and Ahab made an Asherah. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. And so there was a lot of kings that did a lot of wicked things. But this particular king, this king Ahab, he led people far, far away from God. And he introduced them to, to idol worship and, and in, a, in a whole new form. And I grew up calling... Baal, it was Baal when I grew up, but apparently uh, now the educators say it's pronounced Baal. So if I jump between the two pronunciations, talking about the same guy, it's either Baal or Baal, Baal, the same false god. So if I jump between that, same person. And and, and Baal was, uh, he was really a a god of man's imagination, a god of man's superstition. Um, He got questions, notes this about him. The Canaanites worship Baal, as the sun god and as the storm god. he is usually depicted holding a lightning bolt who defeated enemies and produced crops. They also worshipped him as a fertility god who provided children. And Bethany Verrett in her article, Who Was Baal?, states this, the Baal mentioned in the Bible was a universal fertility god and a storm god associated with bringing rain and dew in the Canaan area. And so the other thing that we need to know about Baal worship is that it was very wicked. It was very immoral. It was highlighted by temple prostitution and human sacrifices. And so this God that Ahab brought in through Jezebel, was, it, was, it was just full of wicked practices. And yet King Ahab was leading people to worship this God. And more and more people of Israel were turning from the one true God and turning to worship the Baal. And of course that is never good for any society. And so we see that in, in 16, and then in, in chapter 17, we see Elisha jump onto the scene. And, and Elijah's story is very interesting. Elijah's story, it just, he just appears. We don't really get a back story. We don't, we don't get anything about his history, really, except where he was, where he was from. And then he just jumps onto the scene. And, and in chapter 17 and chapter 18, it's a very dramatic introduction to who Elijah was. So let's see, uh, the first words that the Bible tells us about him, it says this, in 1 Kings 17, verse 1, now Elijah the, the Tishbite of Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord God, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall uh, be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And so that's, that's our introduction to Elijah, he, he confronts this wicked king, and he says, by the way, it's not going to rain until I say it's going to rain. And that's quite an introduction, and and Ahab really doesn't like what Elijah has to say. We're not given um, any more of that conversation, but I'm sure there was more to it. I'm sure there was a bit of an argument there, and I'm sure that Elijah explained why this was coming and why God had told him to to command this, this rain not to happen and this time of drought to come. I'm sure that was there, but we're not given the privilege of seeing that. The next thing we see is that God tells Elijah, okay, we've made the king really mad. You need to go. You need to go, and so he sent him to the brook Cherith, and we see there that God said, here, you just go to this brook, um, and, and I'm going to provide for you, and we see that in, in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 6, and the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. So here we see the first introduction of skip the dishes in history, all right, so Elijah had to run, he had to hide, and uh, he's by this brook, and God said, okay, I'm just going to feed you. I'm going to send the birds to bring you food and meat in the morning, food, uh, f- uh, bread and meat in the evening. I was just thinking about that this week as I was preparing the message and I thought, imagine ravens bringing you meat, you know? Have you ever driven down the highway and, and seen the, the carcass of a deer and all these crows or ravens picking away at it and, and just pulling off these stringy pieces of meat? Well, that's what they were bringing to Elijah. You know, and that was how God provided him. He he provided him for this this food for for a period of time while he was there. And I would say it was a considerable period of time as well, although we're not given the exact amount of time. Well, eventually, because there was no rain, the brook dries up. And God says to Elijah, okay, now I want you to go to this town of Zarephath. And there, I've prepared a widow there who's gonna provide for your needs. And so Elijah obeys God, and he he heads to Zarephath. And there's this weird kind of interaction this this really unique interaction between Elijah and this widow and I want you to see it in 1 Kings 17 12 through 16. And so Elijah gets to the city he tells her hey I'd like something to eat and something to drink and this is her response this widow's response. And she said as the Lord your God lives I have nothing baked only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterwards make something for yourself and your son. Every time I read that, I think, man, like that's such a weird interaction. I'm gonna go eat something and die. Yeah, okay, go ahead, but first feed me, right? I just, I just kind of wonder what was running through that widow's head when, when, when Elijah said that. Yeah, go ahead, but just feed me first, you know? But thankfully, Scripture continues on because there's a promise here. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the days that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said. And she and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. And again, we see here Elijah obeying God, tell this to Ahab, go to the brook and I'll provide for you. Go to this widow and I will provide for you. A very dramatic entrance into the scene for Elijah, but, but the drama ramps up a little bit more. While, they're staying, while Elijah is staying at this widow's house, it was her and her son, her son gets sick and dies. And she comes to him and she pleads with him and Elijah carries this boy upstairs, prays and this boy comes back to life. I mean, talk about an introduction into the record of Scripture. I mean, this is just rolling. And God just keeps using Elijah, and and he's not done with Elijah. Because we jump into 1 Kings chapter 18. We'll we'll pick it up in verse 17, but I would encourage you to read the first 16 verses again. Just a real real neat interaction between Elijah and another prophet or another man who meets him. And and just kind of entertaining as well as you read that. But let's look at this when when Ahab uh, and Elijah meet. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house, because you've abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of, the, of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. And here, Elijah says, Okay, it's time for a showdown. God says it's time for a showdown. And Elijah's obedient. And he confronts Ahab, and he said, he said, you are the one who is troubling Israel. You are the one who has led people away from the one true God, and as a result, this famine has come onto the land, and, and much worse than famine, leading people away from, from worshiping God is, is far worse than a, than a physical famine. And he said, you have brought trouble uh, to the land. So we're gonna do a contest, and I challenge you, bring all the prophets of Baal to Mount Carmel, and we're gonna have a showdown there. And Mount Carmel is a real interesting place. If you, if you look it up online, you can see that very likely the place on Mount Carmel that Elijah chose, um, it was this, this flat plateau. And that plateau could be seen as far away as Jezreel, where Ahab and Jezebel reigned from, and as far away as Nazareth. So it's, it's in this high place, and it can be seen for miles and miles around as this place of real public display. And so we're gonna, we're gonna come back to that in a little bit, but Elijah said, we're gonna have a showdown. And so on the chosen day, everybody shows up. It says, King Ahab was there, the prophets of Baal were there, the people of Israel were there, Elijah was there. And Elijah introduces this, it says this. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him. A word. And Elijah here is saying, hey guys, look, you gotta be all in. You guys have been following this, this mishmash religion. This religion of, of a little bit of worshiping the one true God and, and a little bit of worshiping the balls, and it's a mess. You can't serve gods who are polar opposite on the moral scale. You just can't do it. And so what you're doing is you're just limping along. It's, it's ridiculous what you're trying to do. And so he kind of throws down the gauntlet and he says, we're going we're to have a contest. We're going to see which God comes through. And he says this in 1 Kings 18, 23 to 24. Let two bulls be given to us and then let them, cho- let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you will call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. So here's the contest. We're going to set up two altars. We're going to put wood on it. We're going to put the bulls on it, but we're not going to set any fire. And we're going to call upon our gods, and whoever sends fire, that's the one true God. And the people say, hey, this is a good idea. We want to see this on display. We want to see this work out. And so the prophets of Baal went first, and, and they went for hours praying to Baal, cutting themselves, the Bible says till the, the blood gushed out of them, dancing around the altar. I mean, they were doing all that they could to implore this false God to send fire out of heaven. First King 18 29 says this, and as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice, no one answered, and no one paid attention. See, Baal is a false god. He's a god that can never answer. He can, he's a god that can never hear because he doesn't exist. And he could not answer because he does not exist. And so after their, their demonstrations and, and their pleadings, finally it was time for Elijah to, to step up. And he had to rebuild the altar that was, that was already put together. The, the, the prophets of Baal had knocked it over in their pleadings with, with Baal. So he rebuilds the altar. He puts the fire on it, or puts the wood on it, puts the bull on it, then he digs a trench around it, and he has it soaked with water. So that there's, there's no chance of spontaneous combustion. He just throws the water on it, and he soaks it. And then he prays, he prays this. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. And the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and say, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. See, game changers impact what's going on around them. And again, seeing this place that Elijah uh, had chosen, you know, it wasn't just the people that were present there that day. They would have been able to see for miles and miles this fire coming from, from heaven and, and lighting this fire up on this plateau. As I think about that, I got think about uh, in The Return of the Kings, The Lord of the Rings, how there's this signal fires, and I think it was Gondor calling Rohan or verse versa. I just a little sometimes get that wrong, but the, fi- the signal fires are lit. And the fire lights up on on one mountain peak and then miles away, the next fire's lit and then miles away, the next fire's lit and so the people knew that something was going on. And again, on Mount Carmel, that would have been, there would have been one fire and the people may not have even known exactly what was going on, but when they see this fire coming from heaven and and, and lighting up on Mount Carmel, there's gonna be that question, what happened? What happened? And somebody's going to be able to tell them, hey, this is what God accomplished there on that day. And so Elijah was very intentional of of picking that location so that people could see uh, who God was and the power uh, that he had. And so what can we learn from Elijah? What does Elijah's story teach us about being game changers today? How is it that, that he, I mean, he did some pretty supernatural things But what is it that we can learn? What is it that we can put into practice? And there's a number of different things that I want to look at with you today. The first thing that I want you to see is that that Elijah put his complete confidence and trust in God. He said, I'm gonna obey God no matter what. And the first thing that, that we see him telling Ahab is, hey, it's not gonna rain until I say so. Now, obviously, based on this last week, I didn't do so good praying against snow. I don't have any control over the weather, all right? Elijah, as a man, has no control over the weather, but he knew that God had told him what to say, and he was willing to obey, even though he hadn't seen it fulfilled yet. And then Elijah's life was this, this tracking of obedience. Okay, you've delivered this message, and now you've got to run. And now you've got to go sit by this brook, and I'm going to feed you. Then you're gonna to go to this widow and I'm gonna provide for you there. And then, and then you're gonna confront Ahab again. And each step of obedience that Elijah took was preparing him for the next one and the next one. So that all of a sudden, when, when he was willing to obey in the ordinary, he was then ready when God called him to do something extraordinary. And so the first thing that we need to understand today is that our obedience to God makes an impact. We are game changers when we are obedient to God and when we just simply do the things that he asks us to do. When we are people of integrity, when we choose to keep our word, we are making an impact. When we choose to put others above ourselves, we are making an impact. When we forgive those that offend us, we're making an impact. When we're kind to those who are unkind, we make an impact. Teens, when you obey your parents, when you show them respect, you're making an impact. All of us, when we show respect and submission to authority, we're making an impact. See, our obedience to God makes an impact in the world around us. It encourages brothers and sisters in Christ to be obedient in those areas as well. It stands out in the world, and people will. Ha- we may have that opportunity to say, why do you behave that way? And then we have that opportunity to point them to Jesus, and to point to them the fact that it's not us doing these things, it's us doing those things with the strength and power of God and the Holy Spirit in us. So the first thing that we need to see is that our obedience makes an impact in the world around us. second thing that we need to see is that, and it comes back to prayer again, is that we need to be praying for God to fulfill his word. Really interesting, Elijah goes to Ahab and said, hey, it's not gonna rain until I say so. He makes that statement, but then look at James 5, 16 to 18. Doug mentioned this last week, but I wanna bring it to you in that context of Elijah's story. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Here's the thing. Elijah made this statement to Ahab. It's not gonna rain. And then he went and he prayed daily, God, don't let it rain. And then after this defeat of Baal, Elijah goes up, and he prays that it would rain. And that very day, God sends rain back to the land. So we have to understand that as we pray and as we spend time talking to God, it is so important that we pray out the promises of Scripture, that we look for those promises that apply to us in Scripture and that we include those in our prayer life. Look at 2 Peter 1, 3-4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, that through them you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Here, as we think about our Christian life, and we think of those areas that we struggle because all of us struggle. None of us are perfect. We're not going to be perfected till we're in heaven. There's going to be places that we, we struggle in. But as we go to we go to Second Peter and we sometimes we feel it's just overwhelming, I just can't do it. But then this prayer here is his divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Why can I why can I obey God? Because He gives me the ability. And then later, as we think about temptation, we think, man, that temptation is so overwhelming, I just can't resist it. But here it says, so that through them, you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. See, as we encounter struggles in our Christian life, as we encounter temptation in our Christian life, we're not left on our own to deal with those. We're left with the promise that God has equipped us completely to deal with those. And we need to pray in faith, God, I want to see this promise fulfilled in my life. And I'm willing to see that happen. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We want to tell people about Christ. We want to tell that neighbor, that coworker, worker that, that friend, that family member about Christ. And so many times the biggest obstacle is fear. How are they going to respond? Will I know what to say? But here, if we're like Elijah, we'll see that there's a promise that God gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us his spirit, and when we trust him, we will be able to witness. We will be able to have the words to say that we just feel that we can't come up with on our own because God has promised, and we need to pray to see that fulfillment come to place. Third thing that Elijah did that we need to do as well is to call people to faith. Call people to trust in God. And again, 1 Kings 18, 21, and Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him, but if if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. For Elijah in this statement, there was no if. He knew who God was. He knew knew who Baal was. He wasn't worried that Baal was gonna light the fire. He wasn't worried that God wasn't gonna light the fire. He knew what was going to happen. But he was calling people and saying, Look, you need to choose. You need to choose. You need to stop limping between two opinions. And for us, we need to be calling others to that as well, but recognize that we could be limping between two opinions as well. It is so easy to let culture influence our Christianity. It is so easy to say, I'm going to follow God and I'm going to trust this for fulfillment. Maybe food, friendships, relationships, pornography, sexual immorality, uh, success, fame. We know, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I need to add this to be fulfilled. And Elijah's saying, and God is saying to us today, you can't mix it. It'll never work. You need to be all in. And you need to say to God, God, I'm gonna trust you completely. Trust you 100% for that abundant life that you promise, for the, for the joy of life that you promise, and I am not going to turn to false gods, false substitutes, in order to be truly fulfilled and truly satisfied. Again, Jesus promised that he came to give us life, life to the full, and that's what he desires for us. But when we try to mix, we limp along. We're not successful anywhere, and we're not living the life that God has truly called us to. And so it's our job to evaluate ourselves just like we did in communion to say, where am I limping along? And we need to confess that. But then it's also our job to come alongside of brothers and sisters in Christ and say, hey, if you remove this from your life, you would be far more satisfied. You would be far more fulfilled. You'd be far closer to God. To lovingly come alongside and to say, I want you to succeed. I want you to trust God and see how awesome he is rather than this false thing that you're putting your trust in. So we need to call people to, to return, to realize how great God is. And we need to do that in and of ourselves. And then finally, we need to be calling people to faith in Jesus Christ. And today, uh, you, you may be here. You may be here and you might not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and you have, you have tried the things that the world offers. You've tried fame and relationships and popularity and success and and pleasure and all of those things and yet there's still a hole. There's still a hole in your life that just can't seem to be filled. The reason that it can't be fulfilled is because you're looking in all the wrong places. You see, God created us to be in relationship with him. Our whole purpose was to represent him well. But when we sinned, when we rebelled against him, that purpose in us can't be completed, could not be completed. We're separated from him. We're rebelling against him. How can we represent him well when we won't even listen to him, when we won't even obey him? And a result of our sin, we are separated from God, unable to be in that relationship with him here on earth and then destined to spend an eternity separated from him under his eternal judgment and punishment. Thankfully, God wasn't satisfied to leave us there. He wasn't satisfied to leave us in rebellion. He wasn't satisfied to leave us rejecting him. He wasn't satisfied to leave us with no hope for eternity. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into this world. He sent his son, Jesus, to live a perfect life, a life without sin. And then to suffer and die on the cross of Calvary so that you could be forgiven. He wasn't being punished for his sin on the cross. He was without sin. He was being punished for your sin and for my sin. So that God, who is completely just and fair, when we come and ask him for forgiveness, he can forgive us not on our own merit because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us in our place. And so today, the band's gonna come and they're gonna close our service out. And as the band's playing, I I, I just wanna call you call you to evaluate your life, call you to say, where am I limping along between two opinions? Where is it that I am, I am just faltering, that I'm trusting this instead of trusting Christ? And if you know that one of those, that area is in your life, confess that today. Say, God, man, I've been, I've been trusting in all of the wrong things. I have trusted you, I know that my eternal soul is with you, but on the day to day, I'm just not trusting you. I'm trusting other things, and I wanna confess that to you today. If that's where you are, then I would, in, I would encourage you, I would encourage you just to spend some time in prayer during this last song. If you want, I'll be down at the front. If you wanna come and just publicly pray, pray and confess, that's, that's awesome as well. I'd love to welcome you down front. Today, if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior, the Bible says this, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So today, right where you are, as, as the band is playing, you can receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. You can invite him into your life. And he will, because he cannot lie, he will forgive your sins and welcome you into his eternal family. Again, if you wanna talk about that, I'll be down front. If you wanna come up and just sit by me and pray, that's awesome, we'd love to do that. The band's band's gonna play and then Barry will dismiss us. But again, if you wanna do some business with God this morning publicly, feel free to come to the front. If you wanna ask Christ to be your savior, you can do that where you are, definitely do that. If you wanna come down and talk about that this morning, I'll be here uh, praying and willing to chat.